Yo. Hello, Frank Nicolini. That's me. Frank Nicolini, <laughs> as you call him. How, Have fun with that name. How m- back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Friday morning. It is the 23rd day of June. We are officially in the summer season, and I am your host, Jared Mintz, joining me today after what feels like, I don't know, a three-week-long absence of not recording a podcast, is my partner in rhyme, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how are you feeling on the morning after the NBA draft? I'm feeling well. I'm feeling splendid. It was a pretty fun draft. Uh, Couple, not nothing wild as far as picks go, but there was a lot of, couple of crazy trades, and we'll get into that. But I feel overall good. It's Friday, and uh, I'm ready to get after it, as the cool kids say. There he is, Friday, ready to get after it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I didn't really think anything too crazy happened last night in terms of picks. Nobody really leapfrogged. There wasn't any uh, Papa Giannis type of situation. I mean, you and I were both talking before we started recording. The most surprising pick was like, Bam Abadeo going 15th or whatever. Like, nothing else was all that crazy, it didn't feel like. Actually, I don't think he went 15th. I think I'm starting to show off with a terrible error. 14. But he went a lot higher. He went higher than anybody expected. He went 13, right? I thought, didn't he go to the Heat at 14 or no? I'm going to look right now, and he went to 14 to the Heat. He, he went 14, right. So he goes 14, which is lottery. No one expected that. We're not going to start the show off by talking about Bam, though. Just more of the point that nothing crazy happened. Joe, before we take a dive into this draft and really what took place last night, what do you think of the draft coverage around the NBA world? Um, oh, man, this is difficult. I, I only consumed it two different ways. I consumed ESPNs, and I consumed FanRag Sports as Zach Harper, Jason Patton, Page. I can't pronounce your last name, Page. I apologize. I started with Page, Jason, and Zach, um, obviously because they're our guys. Uh, I thought they did excellent, excellent work. Um, for me, the only thing that threw me off because I have kids and I can only watch it passively is there's no graphics, so you had to follow along with Twitter. But I thought they did an excellent job of breaking down players and situations. And the chemistry was there and it was amusing and it didn't feel forced. Um, ESPN's coverage. Um, <laughs> well, here's the deal, right? So, like, and I don't want to bash. Before you get going, no, before you get going, I'll let you not bash. I just want to say Michael Wilbon at one point last night compared Malik Monk to Michael Jordan because of his high-flying ability. Continue. Yeah, so you knew going in that Wilbon doesn't watch a lot of college basketball. Um, Jalen Rose doesn't watch a lot of college basketball. Like, you can't, they're NBA guys. You can't expect, like, so, like, their, their panel itself is flawed. Um, Jay Bills is usually historically very friendly to players, and I get it. So, um, the issues I had, the chemistry there is not great. The analysis is pretty poor. Um, you're just not getting good analysis. They really need, I know they're releasing Chad Ford. They really need to replace him with somebody that could break down players. Um, Jalen Rose's player comps might be the worst thing on television. Um, not only because player comps are lazy. Here's the thing, though. Like, I get player comps when you're trying to explain it to the casual fan. But when you're comparing Zach Collins to Billy and Beer when they're not similar at all, like at all, other than being white. Um, Royce Young, Royce Young also compared uh, Zach Collins to Myers Leonard last night. I'm going to imagine it is also because they are white. Yeah, I saw I saw somebody call TJ Leaf on Twitter um, one of the one of the Plumley brothers, even though their games are not similar at all. Um, TJ Leaf isn't athletic like a Plumley, but he's also a great shooter. Like I'm, not doing, I'm not doing a reverse racism here, thing here, but could you imagine if, like, we compared all black players to black players just because they're black? Like, I, I can't even think of an example, obviously, because black players are the dominant race in the NBA. But could you imagine if that's just, like, what we did? Like, oh, yeah. I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's done. Like, you're never going to see, like, Lonzo Ball's never going to be compared to, like, Jerry West. It's going to be Jason Kidd or whatever, or Penny Hardaway. Um, Jason Tatum's would be compared to like Carmelo Anthony. Jonathan Isaac's gonna be compared to every tall thin player. It's just like right. whatever's Laurie's compared to Dirk and Ryan Anderson. It's just like whatever's whatever's the closest looking thing aesthetically. Yeah, like if you're seven foot and foreign, you're either you're like Dirk or Kristaps, and then if you're like a shooting white guy that's over six five, you're like Larry Bird. If you're six five and white, you're underneath. You're like 
you know, Jimmer. And then <laughs> F, there's like you used to be you used to be JJ Reddick, but now you're Jimmer. Well, the thing with JJ Reddick, JJ Reddick's actually good. Do you know what I mean? So uh, it's just weird, like because it's, there's a lot of like, lazy things, like and it, this goes across all drafts, like oh this guy's quicker than you think. That's for white guys, or he can jump better than you think, or he has better basketball IQ than you think. Like all these like weird. You know, they're all coded in, in race and stuff like that. I forget what GM said, like, at one point, if you're going to make a player cop to a scouting thing, it's like, it, has, it can't be the same race. It has to be, like, if you're doing a white guy, it has to be a black guy. If you're doing a black guy, it has to be a white guy or whatever like that. And I thought, I was like, oh, that's pretty smart, even though, like, you're really limiting your scouting guys. Player comps are just dumb. They're like, we talk about this on the show all the time, that each guy is actually really unique to his own skill set. But then again, I do get it for super casual fan that never watched college basketball to like hear like, yeah, Donovan Mitchell's Avery Bradley-ish. So they kind of have an idea of the baseline of what to expect or where he's at as a player. But like when the guy doing the player comparisons is way off base, you're just not painting a great picture for fans. Correct. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's let's not rag on the coverage as much anymore. We We knew what to expect. I mean, I even, I saw the night before the draft that ESPN's panel was, Jalen, Wilbon, Billis, and uh, and who, who is it? Is it Reese Davis? Yeah, and Reese is Reese is a great moderator, and Jay Billis is good, and Wilbon and Jalen discuss things in NBA terms, but they don't know the guys coming in the league. Like they, well, could, it's always awkward, and they've always had this awkward thing where they get their NBA guys to do this coverage. I mean, they used to get Bill Simmons to do the NBA draft, and it's just like this guy has no business being here. Yeah, like. I, you you do need an NBA person there to help explain the NBA side of things because then this is what made Zach and Jason so good for FanRat Sports last night was they were able to take each pick, then discuss it in terms of the NBA and do it really well with roster construction and salary cap, what it means and how the rotation works. I, that's why that's where they excelled last night. And uh, we didn't even get that with Wilbon and Jalen last night. We got a lot of hyperbole. We got a lot of... Uh, it's just nonsense. We got a lot of lazy comparisons. We got just a lot of misinformation. Like you said, Malik Monk is not Michael Jordan in terms of hops. Um, I know there was the rumor that he jumped out of a building once, but um, it's just it's ridiculous. These players could be discussed in much better terms. I do think the internet, not like necessarily on Twitter, but guys like Cole Slicker, us, um, Others, Draft Express, do do a very good job of explaining well. I think that's why it shows like the FanRag Sports one. And I didn't get to consume any others, so I'm sure there were other good uh, streamed draft coverages from like other outlets. But that's why those things are becoming more prevalent options, because they could be discussed in better terms. Definitely, definitely. But good, good job all around from uh, the basketball world last night. It was an entertaining draft, even though nothing too crazy happened. But I guess we should really start off you know, our draft breakdown analysis takes with the one kind of crazy thing big news in the nba last night and that's the chicago bulls finally i guess finally trading jimmy butler to minnesota where he's reunited with tom thibodeau and and company i was really surprised that this trade went down because i i didn't think after the way fibs left chicago that they'd be able to to make a deal and i kind of thought that the, the timberwolves were just being used as leverage to help the bulls get a better deal for butler but Minnesota sends uh, Chris Dunn, the number seven pick, and Zach Levine. Was there anything else in that trade, Joe? I, I think that was just it. Levine, they, they send a package based around those guys. Levine, Dunn, they swap picks, which was the weird part that they had to give Jimmy Butler and a pick Correct. to get Chris Dunn, who's been objectively awful so far. I know a lot of people were being very polite last night about him. Um, it, just look at his numbers. And... Uh, Levine's coming in. He's a restricted free agent at the end of next year, and he also is going to miss the first two months of the season. So they gave up Jimmy Butler and a pick for a really flawed incoming package. And then they right. also and sold... 16's this, a good pick, too. Yeah, and especially in this draft. Everybody knows how high I was on this draft. And then they sold their second-round pick, which ended up being Jordan Bell to the Golden State, which we could talk about later, because that's pretty much the perfect spot for Jordan Bell. Um... So, yeah, if I'm a Bulls fan, I'm not happy at all tonight. The roster construction is a debacle. I don't know how it fits. You currently have, because they also drafted uh, Lori Marikin. I can never pronounce his last name, uh, even though I love him. Um, so now you have three forwards that are kind of similar. Even though Lori's the best shooter of the three, um, you need to move on from one of those three guys. Obviously, you're not going to move on from Lori. You just brought him back in. 
Um, but all three of them are your best shooters on that roster. <laughs> because otherwise, if they bring back Rondo, you have Rondo. Chris Dunn can't shoot. You have Dwayne Wade. Um, he's old. Uh, and then I don't know what else, like, what you're doing with that roster. So I know they're trying to rebuild. It feels like they're rebuilding without a plan, and they also did so by not getting enough back for Jimmy because they should have been able to get far better, far more than that. They should have been able to get a pick this year, probably have to get a player back from from uh, Minnesota and get probably get a pick next year or whatever. Um, I know some people are really high on Zach Levine. I don't think he's awful. I do think he has potential. I just don't see, because it's not a long-term investment, he could bounce pretty quickly. So I don't see how this works. Because I don't think Chris Dunn's good. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about year four for Levine coming off of a knee injury, uh, and he hasn't really been that good in his career to this point. I mean, yeah, he's shown signs on offense. The kid could score, and he is still young and very talented, athletic. There's reason to believe he could be okay, but he hasn't been good yet. Like you mentioned, Chris Dunn hasn't been good yet. So really what you're looking at here is they gave up I don't know, you could argue Jimmy Butler's the top 10 player in today's NBA just because he's so good on both sides of the ball. You gave up feasibly a top 10 guy to get two top 10 picks with Markinen and Dunn from last year and this year and Levine while you're giving up 16. I just don't, I don't think it's great. I think they could have got a lot more for Butler. Mm-hmm. I know John Paxson said after the trade that this was kind of the, the first deal that was offered to them and they pounced on it, which... Also just sounds like a terrible process. You, you just you look at the Bulls team, they, they needed to get a pick next year or something, too. They needed to get something for the future if they were going to trade Jimmy Butler, and instead they, they got things for right now. I mean, not to continue bashing Chris Dunn, but it's not like you're getting you know an 18-year-old kid that just didn't play well as a rookie. He's 24, I think, heading into this season, and last year just didn't show anything. And an opportunity where he had plenty of you know chances to, to show he could be a player and that he could fit on a on a Timberwolves team that was feasibly ready to compete sooner than than they should have been able to compete, but they weren't because Dunn wasn't that good. I just, I don't know what the Bulls are doing. Their roster is disgusting, like you said. Like, this is just going to be one of the toughest teams to watch next year, I feel like. Yeah, I think that by design, they don't want to be good next year as well. Like, I think that they, they are trying to full rebuild. The issue is they're doing this a year after signing Rondo and, and Dwayne Wade. So they just basically decided on a win. It's blow-up time. And it, feel, it does feel like, because they didn't work out Laurie either during the draft process, that uh, they got a trade offer for Jimmy, panicked, and just did it. Because, man, like not like, like you said, like I don't want to continue the bash done. And I know the very positive people about them will say, well, at the very least, he could be a great defender. I think that's also being too friendly. Um, but let's pretend he's even that. So you got like a good defending defending point guard who can't shoot at all, and then you got a guy who's probably going to leave pretty shortly for a top seven player in the NBA. And you had to give up like I don't I don't also don't like the whole giving up the pick as well with it. It's just it's very confusing. Um, Chicago, in my opinion, had the worst, and I like Laurie, so I like him as a pick. But overall, from the way they handled things, I think they had the worst night of anybody of all the teams in the draft. Wow, I mean I. I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily off. They went from being, you know, a, a playoff team last year to a complete mess now, and that whole mess is from trading Jimmy Butler and not getting anything for him. Now, I can understand them not wanting to, to play the game anymore. Of, is Boston going to finally give up some pieces for this guy? If not, you know, what can we really get? And maybe they just felt that this Minnesota offer was the only good offer that they were going to be, you know, that, that they were going to have access to, so, so they pounced on it. Just like you said, it felt like a panic move. John Paxson's comments after the trade made it, you know, enforced that it was a panic move. And ultimately, you know, they're left in this place where, sure, it seems they're committing to, to rebuilding now. But again, like you mentioned, they still have Rondo. They still have Wade. They still have players on this roster that just don't really fit a rebuild. Maybe they'll dump those guys and maybe they'll fully commit to tanking next year. That seems like, like what they should be doing. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And uh, this is not how you rebuild. You, you're supposed to get assets back, and I don't feel like they got assets back. You, technically, I suppose they are. I suppose you know Levine, Levine. I Dunn is all right. Like I mean, I'll stop being played about. Dunn's not good. He might not even be an NBA player. I know other people are trying to like force that, and the other guy might leave after a year. So right. their asset they got back was swapping picks to get Lori, and I love Lori, but you gave up Jimmy Butler for a seven foot shooter that's limited everywhere else. Correct. All right. I think that's all we need to say. 
Speaking of seven-foot shooters, there was another one that is apparently on the market this week. Joe, us not having a show on Monday means we didn't get to talk about Chris Tapp's Porzingis feasibly getting traded because apparently his beef with Phil Jackson is uh, is over the top. Phil can't handle it anymore. He's accepting trade calls. Last night, uh, there was a rumor, or there were several rumors floating around all day that the Knicks were engaged in conversations with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the main trade with them seemed to be around uh, Marcus Chris, Dragon Bender, and their fourth pick. They were also talking, apparently, to Boston, uh, trying to get everything they could, which is what they should have done. I believe that trade was focused around Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder, their third pick last night, and next year's Brooklyn Nets first-round pick. I mean, I think these are the things that the Knicks should be asking for if they're going to entertain Chris Saps Porzingis trade offers. I still don't think they should be entertaining these offers. What do you think, Joe? No, you don't. I mean, he's, Chris Saps is, what, still 21 or 22, and they don't make seven foot three guys. I understand people think he's overrated a little bit. His numbers are still disgusting. I think even if his ceiling's already what he, he is now, like pretend this is as good as he gets, he's still a really, really good player, and... uh the easiest way to put it is if he went into this draft, and this draft was very good, he's the only one that has a chance to be a generational star. He would have went number one overall pretty easily. And uh, I don't know. We talked about this off air a little bit. If this was Phil's way of trying to motivate him or if it was ego, it feels totally like ego, um, trying to put Kristaps in his place. He also, during that MSG interview, he threw Kristaps' brother under the bus, um, who's his agent. And then also made it a point to say that nobody skips workouts for him, or the, the exit interviews with him. Right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this was really strange. And then they didn't pull the trigger. Um, those are the type of trades they should be asked, especially the Boston one. Those are the tra- hand trades you should demand for um, for a player like Chris Dobbs. It's just weird how they're going about this entire thing. He, Phil has, is trying to force Melo out. He's not handling the Chris Dobbs thing well at all. But then he's also open to Derrick Rose coming back, even though Derrick Rose, like he's very mad about the Sixth interview thing. But Derrick Rose literally skipped the game, and he is willing for him to come back. So I don't think Phil Jack. I just think the game's passed him by. I'm not going to go as far as some other people saying, like say, like, oh, this is exposing that he was never a genius or never a coach. Like being a coach and being a front office person are totally different things. I just think he's very bad at being a front office person. It doesn't want to put him to work. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, and I, you know, we're not there. We don't know what he does or doesn't do, and it's hard to, you know, listen to all the cynicism surrounding him. Of the guy just wants to spend all of his time in Montana or in California. He doesn't even want to be in New York. He doesn't want to do the work. But I agree with you. I mean, it seems like he's in over his head. It seemed that way for the last few years. He hasn't committed to a direction. And then when you ask why he would consider trading his 22-year-old player with all the upside in the world, his answer is, "Well, we have to do what's best for the future." I mean, he hasn't been doing what's best for the future at all since he took over. It's just ego, and it's so apparent that it's about his ego and that he's upset and that he made it a point to mention how no player in the history of his coaching ever skipped an exit interview on him and how he had such a great relationship with Chris Stapps prior to this. I mean, this offseason, he's burned bridges with both Chris, with both Chris Stapps and Carmelo Anthony. And look, you know, maybe neither of these guys are long for New York. But no one's going to want to play with you if this is how you react and this is how you treat your guys. Zach Lowe tweeted out yesterday that he's been receiving a lot of reports and information around the league that players have zero interest in signing with the Knicks and being a part of this. I mean, how could the Knicks situation have gotten worse? How could they be more of a dumpster fire today than they were a year ago when they traded for Derrick Rose or three years ago before they hired Phil Jackson? It just it keeps getting worse, and it's it's always a leadership issue with this team. And the thing that stinks is Phil was just brought in to not be that guy. He was brought in to make things transparent and to communicate, to be a better leader, to really change the culture. Mm-hmm. And he's done nothing but, but you know, kind of pour gasoline on the fire that was already existing. And it seems like the Knicks are at a new all-time low. Yeah, you know, like, I was thinking about this last night, actually. And it's not, like, something new. But it seems like the Knicks' issue for the last 20 years has been the lack of patience, the inability inability to actually try to build something young. And this is how you end up with Derrick Rose and Noah, or you try to get a Stevie franchise in the free agency market. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just always feels like, okay, we're going to build something. And then, like, two seconds later, instead of trying to build it a more natural way, they'll overpay or force themselves to try to compete immediately. And that almost never works in the NBA, unless you're getting a, tra- a generational player. 
Um, and Derek Rose is clearly no longer that. Um, and then, listen, I'm not, I might. Phil's not doing a great job of. Here's the thing, like, I, I don't know how to put this in terms without. Because I don't know the, the actual inside thing. I only know the reports, what people say. It just seems like he wants to micromanage, like, make the triangle be a thing, make the roster be a certain way. But he doesn't want to do anything work-wise to make, help make that happen. So I feel like it's just like, hey, this is my vision. I think the triangle will still work. And this outfield is ego-based. I want to prove the triangle still works. Uh, I want to prove that three-point shooting doesn't really matter that much. I want to prove this. I want to prove that. But he doesn't want to do anything to help prove those points other than just be like, well, this guy doesn't fit. So let's move on from him. Or Kristaps hurt my ego, so let's move on from him. Even though Kristaps is their... Like, the weird thing about Kristaps is, like, the build for the future thing. We already know he's at least going to be good, right? At least good. And then, considering the way the rookie contracts work, they still have him for, like, seven more years. Right. So, like, you're not going to get anything better than him. Like, if you got a King's Ransom, and I'm talking, like, the only team that Let's talk about the Celtics That's that's that's, that's the closest one. So, you would have got the three this year, which is either Tatum or Jackson, neither of which are ever going to be as good as Chris Porzingis. But okay, that's a start. Then you get the first next year, a 2018 class that we expect to be good. The pick is unprotected. Probably a top five pick. Right, but you still don't know. It's not a guarantee. But let's pretend it's a good player. Let's pretend it's a solid role player, everyday starter. Because Phil said in his interview, they, 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 they'd want starters. I didn't say you got Bradley and Smart. You're still missing that generational star, and Kristaps is the only one of all those pieces that has a chance to be one, and you can't win an NBA championship without a generational star. Right. Yeah, he's the ceiling play. I mean, he has the highest ceiling of anybody that they've spoken about. Even looking at the Phoenix offers and saying they could have got four and Devin Booker, Devin Booker's not as good as Kristaps Porzingis yet, and I know he had his 70-point game, and he's a good player. I'm not saying he isn't good. He doesn't play a lick of defense, and he's a scorer. He's not a point guard. He's not a guy that you're going to build a team around. I mean, Phoenix hasn't had any success these last two years, despite Booker being good, and there mm-hmm. being good players around him. And that's, again, not to you know pick at Devin Booker or say he's not good, but if you're going to trade Porzingis, you need to do it with the potential to, to really build and get better. And it doesn't look like there is a better piece that they can get for Porzingis than Porzingis himself. Right. Which, again, just, just makes this about Phil Jackson having an ego. And I don't, I also I want to bring up that like you know Porzingis is in the wrong here, too. It's not like this is all for nothing. I think that Phil Jackson's overreacted incredibly and that he's being a baby. But I also think that, you know, Chris Epps is partially to blame here. I just, if there was leadership in this organization or any kind of respect that, that was deserved to be given to, to the front office in this organization, somebody would have bridged this gap by now. Instead, it's been two months of back and forth of these guys being upset with each other. And Chris Epps pushing this isn't Shaquille O'Neal. This isn't a Knicks team that's won a championship. This isn't, I'm going to go to the media and I'm going to say something bad about him because I know he's going to come out next year and win a freaking MVP and lead us to a championship. I don't know what Phil is thinking or what his long play here is. And when people bring up maybe he's just trying to get fired, that almost makes more sense than any other possibility. Maybe Phil just hates this job and is trying to get rid of the one saving grace, the one good thing he's done, so that Dolan can finally be like, all right, you're done. You're not doing a good job. I don't like making James Dolan the bad guy here, but he just doesn't know when to meddle and when not to meddle. And right now is the time that he needs to jump in and be like, what are you doing, Phil? This is the one good thing you've done, and you are messing it up. We are going to be even worse and in terrible shape if you don't fix this thing with Porzingis right now. Now, to be fair, and I know what you mean. Like Dolan should know when to step in, but when you brought in Phil, the whole point of it was, hey, I'm not going to meddle. Autonomy. Right, and then he's going. I'm gonna let him run his course of his contract, and I'm not gonna meddle. And I, and at the time, like I know there were skeptics, but like in theory, it's a good idea. Oh, Phil Jackson, nine thousand rings on his fingers. Get James Dolan out of the decision making process. I think I don't know if this is what now. Part of it, I think, is Dolan just trying to escape blame. That's why he likes Phil there. Well, look at it's all Phil. Talk to Phil. Talk to Phil. You know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily Dolan's in love with anything other than the fact that now he has a built-in scapegoat. But part of it is you can't have it every which way if you're a Knicks fan. You can't be like, James Dolan meddles right. too much. And then he says, and I totally get what you mean, because you, you're right. If Phil Jackson 
is uh, if he's sincerely entertaining Kristaps' trade offers, sincerely, because there is a chance that this is a message thing, and Dolan was told that. But if he was seriously trying to do it, that's when Dolan should step in and be like, "Yo, bro, he's our one. He's our one guy that we have for the future. He's our one thing that, at worst case scenario, we have like a really, really good player." And it's just weird. I do think. Phil and James Dolan have probably a good enough relationship where if Phil wanted out, he could probably just go, James, could you fire me? Do you know what I mean? James Dolan is oddly loyal to front office people. Like, you know, these, we know the Isaiah Thomas stuff. If, you, if you're willing to fall on a sword for James Dolan, as far as being the reason why the Knicks are bad, he's more than happy to make sure you're okay. Something like that. I mean, we saw him, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I've kind of laid off of, you know, crushing Dolan through this whole process because he and he's an objectively so a bad person. I'm right. not trying to make him sound like he's this hero, but he is loyal to front office people. Just when, when things are going wrong, there needs to be some kind of leadership, and I don't know how you could look at this situation and be okay with it, no matter who you are. And uh, it's it's frustrating, but we shouldn't we shouldn't continue to ramble on about the Knicks. I will say I was disappointed last night in the Frank Nelikina pick, not because I don't like him. I, I like him fine. I kind of talked myself into the pick over time because... I figured all the guys I wanted would be gone by eight. But I was tweeting earlier this week that it would be best-case scenario if both Jonathan Isaac and Larry Markkinen were off the board. So they had their choice of Monk, Smith, or Nilakina, And they went with Nilakina and passed on, on Malik Monk and Dennis Smith, which, you know, I think those guys just have higher upside. Maybe not, though. Maybe that's, that's a short-sighted thing to say. Maybe just because they're, you know, more gifted offensively than Nilakina is. That, that was why I felt that way. I just team needs scoring. They need a dynamic guard. I don't know that Nilekin is going to be that. I mean, you talk about the downside of all these guys. Nilekin's downside is not an NBA player, whereas these <laughs> other two guys should be able to at least, you know, score 15 points a game on terrible efficiency. Yeah, um, I really wanted Monk to go to New York. That wasn't a secret. I've been really advocated for it for about a month and a half now. Uh, I don't have enough information on Frank from France. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last names. I'm horrible at names. To say whether or not it's good or bad, it's just weird that with Dennis Smith on the on the board and Malik Monk that they chose to go with Frank um, because he was his stock seemed to be falling. But I, I don't really have enough information to get the great pick other than I really want to see Malik Monk play with Kristaps. It was also interesting though. I mean, we talk about the draft process, and again, I'm not we're not going to do Knicks for too much longer. But we talked about the draft process and how you know De- Dennis Smith was talking about the triangle and how. He didn't work out for the Knicks because we thought that he had a guarantee ahead of eight, which apparently wasn't true. So he didn't really work out for them. And Malik Monk, you know, they were talking about how he would or wouldn't be a fit in the triangle. And he kept saying he would, he would, he would. He'd love to play in New York. He'd love to play in the triangle. He wanted to go while, to New York. It was pretty clear. He, he's Calipari advocated for it publicly. And he wouldn't have done that without Monk's approval. So he wanted to go to the Knicks. For sure. And meanwhile, you know, you heard all the talk about Nilakina being the perfect triangle guard. And what do you know? The, the Knicks made their decision based on the triangle with Phil Jackson potentially not being here in two years. So, uh, cool, cool. Another good day to be a Knicks fan. Cool, cool, I'm, cool. Not, I'm not trying to complain about it. I do like Nilakina. I just, you know, I kind of like some of the other guys a little bit better that were on the board. Um, we're going to keep talking about, you know, the trades that didn't, didn't happen. We linked Boston to the Knicks in this trade. Boston was also linked to Paul George. Joe, were you surprised that Danny Ainge didn't pull the trigger and, and get rid of some of his assets yesterday? No, he's uh, he loves his assets more than he loves making trades to actually do anything with them. And uh, the how many players are going to be on this roster next year? Thirty-seven. Um, a lot. We talked about this off the air that they you cannot have four players at every position, which is what I feel like they have. They have four point guards, four shooting guards, four small forwards. And, like, I'm talking, like, guys that can play in the NBA, not guys that are, like, fringe players. Like, the fact that they have, like, I can't pronounce his name, and I'm sorry, but the fact they drafted Jason Jason Tatum and then drafted Semi-Olegé, I'm sorry, in the second round. And then you also have uh, Crowder, and, I mean, you just can't keep all those guys. And then your point guard situation still like so many guys and you have guys that are so like Jalen Brown in the small forward spot. You have guys that are similar like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. They're similar type of players. <clears throat> I'm and Jason Tatum, who was an excellent scorer is not a great shooter. So, um, he does help them 
immediately offensively. But, uh, yeah, man, all those assets he has, they're great to keep touting, but he just never uses them. And I don't know. I know there's people who are saying he's saving them for Anthony Davis or something. But, yeah, we said last year he was saving them for Jimmy Butler or Paul George. And then we said, oh, maybe he's saving them for Kristaps. We keep saying he's saving them for all these things, and he just never pulls the trigger on them. It's a lot easier to keep pushing for the future than it is to take the chance and take a shot and use his assets to play for now. And I almost feel like this is the high-end version of Philly's Trust the Process, where they're actually winning because they're overachieving. I think people forget that, you know, Brad Stevens came on. They actually tried to take in the first year of Stevens, and they overachieved. Right. And then this roster, the roster did get a little bit better. And did put some pieces together. I mean, like, we all make fun of Terry Rozier for, um... For being the untradeable player. Yeah, but he is a good player. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe Bradley's a really good piece, and Marcus Smart's turned into a good defender. So, like, it's not like he's done this horrible job of bringing... He made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, but, like, they're, they're, but they're, they're not... The the but they're not, they're not the best team in the East, and they're really still far away from the uh, championship. So, like... Maybe the slow build, the way this is going, is to do it, and then when he thinks there's a generational star in a draft, that's when he'll pounce. But like, you just can't keep hoarding these assets because you're you, you now you're in the situation where teams know you have too many players, and they're just if they're smart, they're just not going to offer a lot back now because when you, if you do offer Rozier in a trade, they know that like you just can't keep all those cards. They just right. know. So like, Rozier's draft trade value, like realistically. His value could have been like a late first or something, right? Which is a really good. It's really good for a backup point guard. And now, like, it's uh, I don't think there's any value at him at him now because they know everybody knows. Like, you just can't keep all these guys. It's impossible. It is impossible to keep all the guys. I mean, I understand them not wanting to give up assets if they think they have a shot at signing Gordon Hayward, which they they definitely think that they do. So I guess we're not going to see them really make another trade until or another know, small forward. Let's put all the small forwards on on, on Boston. Hey, they're going to have plenty of guys that they could trade, and they, they won't be able to get optimal value for them, but I'm sure they'll still be able to get decent value for some of these guys. They're not in a bad position. You just no. have to wonder You just have to wonder if Danny's waited too long to pull the trigger that it's actually hurt some of their players' value. Well, here's the thing, right? So they, they likely already know what their chances are of signing Gordon Hayward. So maybe I'm being presumptuous. But let's pretend they're good. So you have Isaiah, you have Avery Bradley, theoretically Gordon Hayward, you have... Uh, Al Horford, why not bet the farm on getting, like, seriously, like, overpay for Kristaps. Right. Give him the two first, give him Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder, whatever, like, whatever the other two players are. You just became measurably, measurably better. You still stayed young, because Kristaps is only 21. And, like, now you have a really, really good roster that could theoretically go to the finals. Do you know and what I mean? Like, you did you guys shoot your shot? Out. You could probably outlast LeBron. Like you could probably still, still be this yeah. good at that. Like first two, one, two, three years after LeBron's, you know, out of his prime, or after he's in LA playing with the Lakers, or whatever's going to happen to LeBron. Yeah, and that's that. I was talking about it with Jason Patter, NBA editor, yesterday morning about it. And we're just like, yeah, you know, like this is if Kristaps is really on the market, like he's the guy. Like, yeah, this is where you is you would have to overspend. Like, you're not going to feel like you're getting the value of your assets worth. But that's the point of having all those assets, so you're willing to overspend and get a marginally gigantic upgrade at a position which which Kristaps would be. Because then you have a really good starting five, and you still have, even if you give up two players in that trade, you have so much depth on that roster, you're not really hurt. For sure. Last thing on Boston, how'd you feel about Tatum at three? Tatum, he, out of all the players that was available at that point, he's the one that helps the most the quickest. Um, I mentioned before, he's a better scorer than he is a shooter. Um, he's not as bad defensively as people think. He's also like, as he, even though he's an ISO monster, he's not like ball stopping dead. I know people sure. are, people are look at some of the Duke games. Some of the Duke games in the second half of the season, especially in the second half of the games, the second half of the season was him taking over games. Now I don't necessarily think that just means oh he's an ISO monster. He's Joe Johnson. He's Carmelo. I think it kind of meant like that was his role in Duke. Now, maybe that's what he is, but I don't think that defines him. And he's, he rebounds at a pretty good rate. So I think he's a, a really good player. I think his upside's not as high as other people it is. But for what Boston needs, which is scoring desperately, um, he fits. It's just now you have a really big live jam at small forward. I, I don't know if he's going to play the three. He might play the four for them. I mean, defensively, 
I don't know that he's going to be able to guard wings the way he'd be able to guard smaller fours. So I kind of mm-hmm. think that that's, that's the biggest holdup with Tatum is kind of thinking what his position's going to be. But you look at this roster, and if they got Tatum to keep him, and they're able to get Hayward, your five is now Horford, Tatum, if he's starting, Horford, Tatum, Hayward, Bradley, Thomas. Offensively, I mean, it's better, a lot good. better. It's a lot better. Yeah, that's all if they get Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that's actually, that is a upgrade. However, um, it'd be a lot better if Chris Tops was there. I, I agree with you. All right, let's 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 get back to the draft. Joe, I don't think it was a surprise to anybody that Lonzo Ball was the second pick, that he goes to the Lakers. I do think it's awesome, though, that this happened, that I don't want to say LeVar Ball put this out into into the world and it came to fruition, that it's because LeVar made it happen, even though he cut the greatest promo after that pick and talked about him making it happen. He was actually, I found him to be kind of likable at the draft last night when he spoke with his big baller tie. Do you, what did you think Alonzo going to the Lakers? I mean, were you kind of like, yeah, this makes sense. They just traded D'Angelo Russell. We knew Alonzo was the pick after that. Were you surprised at all? I mean, I think that, I think unfortunately this year Alonzo was the guy that we just had too much time in between college basketball mm-hmm. and the draft that his stock just got crushed and we picked apart every weakness he had. I mean, if you watched one college basketball game that he played in that De'Aaron Fox wasn't on the other side of him this year, he was the best player on the court 99% of the time. This guy's a basketball player. Were you surprised that he went second? No. I said it before on the podcast. He was actually my highest rated player in the entire draft. Um, you, you hit it on the head. We had too much time between the end of the season, college basketball season, to now to let the LeVar Ball stuff kind of infiltrate on how we viewed Lonzo. Um, and people were nitpicking. Uh, the wonkiness looking of his shot, um, while ignoring how efficient he was, was as a scorer. Um, and then, like, about stuff about his athleticism and blah, 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 blah. Um, this was, this was des- destined to happen, like, him to go to the Lakers. It wasn't because of his father. It wasn't because he's from L.A., even though he's not from L.A. It's because he's a really good point guard that Matt Johnson probably reminds a little bit of himself. And he can be effective without scoring a ton. And he can make bad teammates look good. Um, I like TJ Leaf as a player. I like Ike as a player. I can't pronounce his last name. I didn't really try. Um, but he made them look like far better players than they actually are at UCLA. He changed the entire culture of their offense. I'm not going to say he's going to do that in day one at, 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 in a Lakers uniform. It's not realistic to ask a 20-year-old to do that as a rookie. But he's a really, really good player. And he has a chance to be an all-star. And those are kind of rare in any draft. So, yeah, I think this was the obvious pick, especially after. I thought I thought this before the D'Angelo Russell trade. Russell. D'Angelo Russell trade. And after the trade, you knew it was a, a foregone conclusion. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's cool to see. And, I mean, it's hard to root against him. And, I, you know, he had the Father's Day commercial, Lonzo, about LeVar. Oh, tremendous. It, it was really, really great. Obviously, that has nothing to do with what he's going to do on the court, but I, I think he was a good pick, and again, you know, every year there's just there's that one player who too much time goes by where you can pick their games apart, you start comparing them to other people. Look, just because he's not Markel Fultz, or even on a grander level, just because he's not Jason Kidd, who people are dying to compare him to, doesn't mean he can't be a good NBA player. I, I don't know if he's my top guy in the draft, but I do think that I do think the tiers were closer than mm-hmm. they've been, you know, in previous drafts where. If Fultz has a leg up on him, it's not a crazy, crazy leg up. I, they could both be very good players this year. Yeah, I'm a tier guy. Like I know people like so. There's like one through sixty guy. I'm tier guy. I had five guys in my first tier where I thought of them as similar, like kind of NBA players. So like, if somebody likes Fultz more than Ball, I don't, I don't go crazy about it. I get it. For me, I just like Ball a little bit more. I think he could do a little bit more. I'm not as concerned about the defense as everybody else. This is the deal. Every player that comes out of college, ever, is actually really flawed defensively. And it's really hard to gauge how good they actually are defensively because of the level of competition in college. So while like people will rave about somebody's defense in college, you got to remember, in 20 of their 35 games, they're playing against guys that will work at Radio Shack this week. So defense is really hard to, to gauge as is. And I guess it's a hot take, but defense is slightly overrated. Um, wow, that is a take. Well, I mean... Best, some of the best guards in the league aren't great defenders. So I don't think we should be that concerned about it. And rare are the Jimmy Butlers, LeBron Jameses, of uh, like top 10 players in the league that are, are great two way players. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that's more rare than we think. Like, there's competent defenders. 
that are great offensively. But rare is like the elite level defender and elite level player in offense that actually exists in one player. Right. Our top two MVP candidates this year are Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Yeah, and Russell so, Westbrook's defense is wildly overrated, and he's actually not good at it. His defense is I worse than Steph Curry's. I'm not saying I he was. I'm oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I didn't know that Russell Westbrook played defense. Yeah, he doesn't. He's. Like, the, the weird thing is, like, I, I, I went on this weird kick during the season at, when college basketball was slowing down to watch a lot of Russell Westbrook because he's fun to watch. And I saw how awful he was on defense. And then, like, I was. At the same time, like, I watched Steph Curry because he's fun to watch. And I'm like, listen, Steph Curry's not good on defense, but he's competent. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's good enough. And uh, I always laugh when, when we do the draft talk, whoever does, and then they talk about a player's defense. And I'm like, eh, nobody cares. Like, it doesn't really matter that that, that much. Because there's less that you could talk about. I mean, for most people. You know, if you're, if you're a scout and you're really breaking down film and X's and O's, you can really sit there and, and point to everything that a good defender is doing. It's just so much easier to be like, well, he gets to the basket. Well, he takes good shots. Well, he's a good passer. It's easier to describe those things. Well, not only that, like I said, like, it's hard to, like, using, I was high in Malcolm Brogdon last year, and I, I did project him to be a good defender. But it's weird to say so when he's guarding guys that aren't very good players. NBA players. Yeah. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? So it's really hard to say, like, this guy looks like a real, like, I like Donovan Mitchell a lot from this draft. I think he's going to be a really good defender. I have no, I have no real good evidence to prove it. Like him locking up a, ga- a guard from Pitt that isn't very good, isn't great evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, guard from Pitt. I didn't use your name for a reason. That's fine. Uh, before we get off the Lakers, what did you think of the D'Angelo Russell trade? Lakers oh, no. Give up, Lakers give up Russell and Mozgov for Brooke Lopez. Uh, Ooh, uh, yeah. I mean, what do you, you, you think of that, Joe? Okay, like I just, all right, the idea is they want to get rid of the Moscow salary. I get that. You've actually done this next year. You, you didn't need the salary for this year. Um, you gave up on a 21-year-old kid for a late first. Um, in a draft of class, I did like. I just feel like you could have moved somebody other than Russell to accomplish this. I really do, because it's not like the 20, what was it, the 22nd or 27th pick? Uh, 22. 22. So you could have moved another, you could have moved Clarkson or whoever and did that because, man, you just you just bailed on a kid. I'm not saying Russell's going to be great, and there's not a lot of evidence that he's going to be great, but you're just giving up really early on a kid that at least showed some flashes. But at the same time, we don't, there could be the character concerns. Maybe he's really aloof if this goes back to the whole cell phone bit. But I don't know, outside of getting rid of Moscow's contract, which they should want to get done, they didn't need to get it done now. I just felt like this was a move to make a move, just to make a move. Really? I mean, do you, do you think do you think they got Brook Lopez just to take the salary back? Do you think that they think he's going to be a player for them? Um, no. I mean, they're not going to be good next year. And I feel like this was just to make, this, I guess, the salaries equal up where they can make the move. I don't see I don't want to be on the whole kill Brook Lopez train, but he hasn't been good in, like, a while. I the trade was the 27th pick, by the way. Oh, 27th. Yeah. So, like, even worse. You so, play Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Great pickup. No, if you're a Laker fan, you should be kind of frustrated. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's tough. Like you said, you're giving up on a guy who you're not really sure what he's going to be yet, and he's shown signs of being good, especially when you've opened things up for him. I mean, unfortunately, D'Angelo's rookie year was, you know, the, the Kobe farewell tour, and he had Byron Scott in his way just being an incompetent coach and not willing to develop a young player, you get Luke Walton last year, and things really opened up for D'Angelo. He kind of has a nice year. His numbers were very comparable to Devin Booker's, which people love to call Devin Booker, you know, this upcoming rising star, but love to call D'Angelo a bust. They are so similar offensively, and it's feasible D'Angelo is more dynamic. He can do more. I just, I don't understand why they had to get rid of D'Angelo Russell here. I think it's a huge win for the Nets, just an absolute great trade for Mm -hmm. them. They can take on a contract like Mozgov and just let it die out there before they're going to be competitive again. I just, I, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me for the Lakers to, to make this dump. And I think that it's dangerous to once again assume that, you know, just because, just because Paul George says he wants to come to you, all of a sudden you're going to get every big free agent out there. LeBron's all of a sudden going to come to, to LA too now. Yeah, and the whole point is like they could have like if they could have waited the year and made this dump next year, they would have found out more about Russell. Do you know what I mean? It would have been easier to dump Moscow's contract. They probably would have been able to give up less for him. Or less to get rid of him. So yeah, man, it's not it's, 
is uh, I think it's an objectively awful trade. It's not as bad as the Jimmy Butler trade, but it's pr- it's pretty bad. It's pretty one sided. It is. All right, Joe. There was one other trade that you really wanted to talk about, and then we're we're going to be done. I think. Last night was an active night for the Sacramento Kings. The Kings went into the night with the fifth pick and the tenth pick. At five, they get De'Aaron Fox, and then they swap ten for Portland's fifteenth and twentieth picks. The Zach Collins pick at ten goes again to Portland. They get Justin Jackson and your boy Harry Giles Giles. Then they take Frank Mason <laughs> in the second round. Kings are getting a lot of credit for their, I don't know, savviness. I don't know that it's that savvy. Joe, what do you think of the night the Kings had? They clearly try to go winner from big guy conference um, approach. Uh, I like Darren Fox a ton, a ton. Um, and then for me, it stops there. Um, I know everybody else loved this draft for the Kings. Loved them. Um, I'm going to go. It feels like a lot of people are connecting the Harry, Harry Giles, Giles, Smiles um, pick to the entire thing. The thing with him is everything is predicated, is prefaced, prefaced with if he's healthy, if 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 he could reach in front, if this. He's had three major injuries, three major, major injuries at Duke. The only skill he showed consistently was rebounding. He has poor footwork on offensive defense. His athleticism wasn't there. It's probably not coming back. You don't have three major medical issues and all of a sudden become more athletic again. Big guys historically don't age well either. So I feel like what happened is people are still – and also, mind you, Harry, Harry, he hasn't had a chance to develop over the last three off-seasons dating back to his high school years because of those injuries. So I feel like people are still remembering him from high school and going, yeah, remember how athletic he was? And he would have been – and he was like the top overall recruit coming out of that class. Um, here's the thing. A couple things. One, top overall recruits in each basketball class are often not good. So let's stop thinking of, yeah, because ESPN had him rated first or second. Anthony Bennett was rated like seven when he was coming out of high school. Um, two, he's not healthy. He's not going to be athletic. His best attributes are no longer there. So, like, yeah, like, all these ifs, they're great. And I root for, like, I, I said it on the last podcast. I hope he had, I'm glad he got drafted as high as he did and get that, that guaranteed money. And I still hope I'm wrong, and I hope he has a long NBA career. I also can see him being objectively awful. So I think they got one player out of this draft that's actually going to be good. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So you don't you don't like the Justin Jackson fit at all? Oh, well, here's the thing. Like, oh, man, I'm, he's really polarizing. I'm torn on it. He had one year, and it was a really good year, where he showed he could shoot threes. And it was high volume. It was a lot. He did everything NBA teams asked him to do, do to get better, and he did it. And for some reason, and this could be me more than anything else, I just – one, I don't believe it. So, uh, yeah, I'm just not sold on him. Do you think that's a good trade for Portland, moving those two picks for, to move up for Zach Collins? Um, here we go again. I'm not, big, I'm not big on Zach Collins. So I get the idea of Zach Collins. I get what people – he's bouncy. He's, he's pretty strong, actually, sneaky strong. Um, he can shoot a little bit. He rebounds at a – pretty high rate he but at the same time and i i do this with justin pat and who other people like as well he was never asked to be more more than the fourth best player on his own team in college so that doesn't exactly project well to the nba and now he's not gonna be asked to be the best player on portland either but like when you're only asked to be the fourth best player on the college team and you're not putting up like crazy crazy numbers it's not great yeah, yeah, well said. I mean, you know, he was a guy, I think he kind of had a slow start and really picked it up a little bit last year as he got older. I do think we kind of got to see his limitations a little bit because he did stay for a few years. I don't know that he's going to be a great player. I think Who are you talking Which player? Justin Jackson. Oh, okay, I thought you were talking about Zach Collins. Like Zach Collins no, was the first one. No, I, <laughs> I love Zach Collins. You know how I feel about Zach Collins. I, I just think, you know, with, with Jackson, we, we got to see his flaws, and for him it was going to be about his landing spot. I don't know that he's going to be any better than Alan Crabb is for Portland. So that's, I, not, that's, not, that's not horrible. Comparison? Or? No, I mean, Alan Crabb, he's not horrible. No, he, he's not, but I'm saying I don't totally understand, you know, the fit for him there when there were some bigs, when Portland could really use, you know, room protectors. I, I don't know. Or Sacramento, I'm sorry. Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm lost. Forget it. You're lost. Forget so, it. so many moves, you got confused. Pretty soon you're going to be like, oh, Malachi Richardson's to start every day. I will never say that. All right, Joe, do you have anything else that you wanted to add from the draft? Um, no, I thought it, just that it was a really fun draft, and uh, I avoided Twitter because you guys were grading out picks in real time, and that's really weird. And uh, other than that, it was a good time. 
Good stuff. Do you have any thoughts? I do not. I I think I got all my thoughts out. Oh, nice. Yep, there you go. All right, let's let's end our show with an AMA. Seal, you bumpy-faced bastard. I know, this has been the running theme. There he is. Here we go. We have one question. This is from our friend Jeff Perest, who was the host of the Trust the Podcast podcast for the Fanbreak Sports Network. Trust the Podcast podcast. That, that, that was the name of the podcast, and it was a podcast. Jeff asked last night after the draft, do you think the Sixers will win over 50 games or 60 games? <laughs> Jeff obviously is sending this tweet out because the Sixers got number one pick Markel Fultz last night, and they have a bunch of guys on it that we love, and obviously it's because we love the Sixers. I'm... I gotta say, man, this Porzingis news came out. I was ready to just drop the Knicks and become a Sixers Whoa, fan on the spot. I like the Sixers roster a ton. Nobody on planet Earth, going back to when he was overseas, has been higher than Andario Sarge than me. Um, I'm I'm part of Joel Embiid's fan club, um, but he needs to stay so you're healthy. Say family? No, oh, I could be maybe too. Maybe me and him like you know we don't look similar or talk similar or have anything in remotely in common, but maybe we are. Um, he needs to stay healthy. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with Okafor. Uh, they keep Robert Covington. I like him a lot. I really like I like Fultz. I, I really like their roster. I they're still going to win like thirty games next year. They're young. Ooh. They're really they're really really young. Yeah, they, they are. And, young. and they're hint, they're they're and Ben Simmons comes back, who I also like. They're injury prone. Yeah, they, they are. I think that that's kind of the biggest thing here is they'll win. You know, they'll win if, if Embiid and, and Ben Simmons can stay on the court. What do you think their odds are of making the playoffs, though, if they're healthy? If healthy next year, not good. They're super young. Super, super, super young. They need to play together a little bit first. I made a point be- before the draft, I'm going to assume Fultz was going to play. Philly's core four, Fultz, Sarge, Simmons, Simmons, and Embiid, between the four, have never appeared in an NCAA tournament game. Oh. But that oh, doesn't... That doesn't oh. What? What? Are you going to do this thing where you're where you're asking how good these guys are? Cause they no, no, I made the joke. Oh, 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 if you, okay, if you read my Twitter, it was part of a joke. I'm just saying, like, none of these guys have played together yet. Simmons didn't play at all no, this year. Paul's hasn't played. Sarge and Beads has, like, a whopping, like, 17 games together. Do you know what I mean? So, like, there's a ton of gelling that needs to be done. And, I, listen, I really want everybody to stay healthy because I really want to see this work, like, see how it plays out because I'm really intrigued by the roster dynamic. And I do think having guys like Covington and Saskas come off the bench is good. Um, I just this year is just a building year. It is. It's to get Fultz and Simmons and Embiid and Sarich and everybody else acclimated with each other. TJ McConnell. Um, so yeah, there's there's still a solid two years away. Is Joel o- o- Jalil Okafor going to be a part of these plans? I think no. Here's the thing: I think when Neural has a role, I think he could. I think when Neural is Noel out, it, it bogs things down less. And if he plays the role of off the bench, Enos Cantor, even though he's super right. limited, I don't think that's horrible to have an off the bench scoring big man. Um, but he, like, man, a lot of these, like Lamarcus, like a lot of these guys became extinct overnight. It feels like, but I do think in certain situations for certain games, he can still play 25, 27 minutes, score a bunch of points for you, not be good defensively, not do a lot of other things you need to do, not rebound at a high rate, but give you a lot of points pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think he could definitely do that. I don't know that he'll be able to. I mean, he's another one when you talk about this team needing to stay healthy and having you know bad luck over the last couple of years, he's been hurt too. So I, I don't know what he'll be. You know, Jeff, to answer your question, I don't think they're going to win 50 or 60 games. What, if you had to give a, a projection, like an exact number, mine's 33. What's yeah, yours? I, I was thinking 34 or 35. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. But I do Look, think if you're a Sixers fan, you have, like, I know they sold out a home stick of games, the most, whatever. I think you have a reason to be legitimately, earnestly, sincerely optimistic moving forward because you have four core players now who any team in the, in, in the NBA would kill to have. 
you put Dario on the same level as uh, Fultz, MVP, well, I, and I, I, well, one, I, listen, I'm an admitted Dario homer. I love Dario, right. and I've been writing about Dario for like six years, it feels like, but he's the only one that's actually proven anything. And he's proven to be pretty good already. Yeah. We don't know what he, 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 Simmons him. hasn't played yet, Fultz hasn't played yet, and played 37 games or something like that. 31. And 31, yeah. And Embiid's, Embiid's great when he's played. And I think Embiid, if he stays healthy, he's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, I think Sarge is up there on that level. I was, I've was i been Team Sarge for years until he flames out or until he becomes Danilo Gallinari. I just said you're all, you're all. I did, Whoa, I just, if I, it could be Gallo, that'd be tremendous. He's that'd gonna. Be I think. Going. I think he's gonna be. I, th- I know. And I just did Euro on Euro comparison. I think he's gonna a be better. White Euro on White. Yeah, I did. I did. I did one real easy there. But I think what? he's gonna be better. I, he's gonna be better. Than, I love Gallinari coming out. I love him. I thought he's gonna be great. He is good though. He is. Um, so I'm not trying to kill him. I think he's gonna be a lot better than Gallinari. I think Dario could be an All Star. All right, man. There you have it. I I hope so. I hope it's this year. It'd be fun to watch that team kind of, you know, escalate their process. They're very dynamic because Simmons could play pretty much all five. Sarge could play three positions. Well, eh, he could play two positions. And then yeah. you have Embiid that plays the five. Fultz, Fultz could actually play off ball. This is lost in the entire conversation about Fultz. He's actually really good off the ball. He just didn't have to do, couldn't do it at Washington because they need to be primary dogs. So they have, like, a lot of versatile, versatility on their roster now, which they haven't had in the past. For sure, yeah. I mean, that dynamic of him and Simmons and who's going to really be running the offense and those guys creating shots for others, I think that's what kind of makes them sexy. so intriguing. Yeah, exactly. No, it makes them very sexy. Sexy blogger pick. It definitely <laughs> does. I mean, both those guys are unstoppable getting to the basket. I don't know that Simmons is necessarily going to be able to thrive playing off the ball if the offense were to really run through faults. But, I, I mean, I think that they have the right pieces, and I, I don't want to give any credit to, to Brian Angelo here. Like no credit to him, just you lucked in, man. You lucked in and you cashed out on uh, on Sam Hinkie's process. Way to go, bud. Yeah, now let's see if any of this works out. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, they're just going to keep winning thirty games every year and never make the playoffs until they. Have We're going to have the same conversation here. next year when they get Michael Porter Jr. in the draft. Oh my God, they're going to get they're going to get Luka Doncic and it's going to be all the exciting. Players. Oh, it really is. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait till next year. We're like starting five of Fultz, Luka, Dario, and Bead. And Ben Simmons is crazy. I'm already all in. I would be more all in on that, unless they completely suck this year. Which, look, hopefully they don't. But they're not, they're, they're, they're not going to be good. But like, they'll be okay. They're going to be competent, and they're going to be. They should be wildly entertaining. I'm all in on Ben Simmons. Still, I'm a little scared away by the injury, but I'm all in on Ben Simmons if he can stay healthy. So, I mean, I I do think that like. Even if, even if one of those guys gets hurt, even if Embiid you know has another season where he looks great for. A quarter of the season, and then he's hurt the rest of it. I, I still think that this team's going to be a lot better. Since we've had this podcast, we're almost we're closing in on our hundredth episode. The Sixers, even though we're not Sixer fans, are oddly like our favorite team. Oh, they are definitely the team of this podcast. Like I mean, Sam Hinkie he- was our guy. We love Joel Embiid, like without apology. We both like Ben Simmons. Um, we hate. We always hated the ancillary pieces. Like we're never like Nick Stastis is our guy, but like we no. loved everything else they've ever done. Yes, they are definitely our team because we're not married to them. And anytime we talk about the that's Knicks, true, we can move away from them. We're, we, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a Knicks fan, but they're on my TV constantly, so like I need them to be good for my entertainment value. And it feels like we get really upset with the next stuff. The Sixers are our Gumar, and I think that is the way to end this show. We hope everybody has a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening. I am your co-host, Jared Mintz. I don't know why I'm introducing myself at the beginning of the show. We're closing Today is Friday, June 23rd. Closing in on our 100th episode, and I don't think I've ever done that before. But you can follow me on Twitter at jmintzhoops and catch my basketball writing at fanregsports.com. Joseph, tell the good people where they could find you. On Twitter, at Joseph Nardon, N-A-R-D-O-N-E. You can find me at FanRightSports.com as well. College basketball, which was quite a period. I have no idea what the hell I'm going to write about. Go find Joe, find out what he's going to write about, and chastise him for whatever it is. Hashtag pow. All around me are familiar websites. Worn out clickbait. Worn out hotcakes. Bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking. No one's clicking. Their pupils are filling up their pockets.
blankets, but not for riders, not for riders. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.